0: Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. This week's podcast is sponsored by Beds Equals Dreams. Join us for a a Build-A-Bed event on September 23rd and 24th to build 60 beds over two days for an elementary school in Lancaster. To sign up, click the link in this episode's description or you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Shane Page. Well, it's uh, good for me to be here. I'm glad I am here. Uh, Thursday morning, I, I woke up, and I had no voice. Well, laryngitis or something. I mean, I'm kind of sounding raspy now, but I'm like, the Lord has had mercy on me. He's given me a voice. Maybe not mercy for you, but I'm here uh, today. That was a joke. Come on. Let's go. It's all right. Um, I do want to say a welcome to those of you who may be visiting with us today. And uh, today is the second Sunday of a new series that we've been doing, a sermon series on the very first things that Jesus preached uh, in his most famous sermon. We call these sayings the Beatitudes, and we're looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. We won't have, you know, every Sunday to look at every single one, but we're going to just kind of slow down and kind of, like, analyze. Like, what are we, what is Jesus saying when he says things like we thought about last week, his very first thing, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? You know, how Jesus actually says those who are close to God are those who are spiritually bankrupt, who have nothing to offer, who feel like they have no spirituality at all. They are impoverished completely. Wow, that's, that's different. And so today we will look at the very second thing that Jesus said in his most famous sermon, and it was the second sentence. He doesn't really explain it. He just says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I'm not going to read to you the Beatitudes again. What I thought we would do is uh, come up with a passage of Scripture that could supplement What Jesus said when he blessed those who are mourning. So I'm going to be reading this morning from Psalm 42. Ah, It's a favorite among a lot of Christians. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the scripture reading. If you don't have your Bible, you can uh, follow along in the the words printed behind me on the screen. Psalm 42. Beautiful words here. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Listen to this next sentence. My tears have been my food, day and night. Ponder that for just a moment. While, they, while people continually say to me, where is your God? And these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with a throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? You know, he doesn't even get an answer to that. Just point that out. You know, sometimes we are downcast without knowing why. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me, as with a deadly wound in my body. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Blessed are those like this psalmist Who mourn. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, the more I think about it, the more I'm beginning to realize that that Christian preaching, all Christian preaching, when it is done well, ought to sound so odd and so countercultural. So, what I mean by that is that if you ever hear a sermon and everything they're saying in the sermon sounds exactly like proverbial wisdom on which everybody can agree, it's probably heresy. How many of you know what the word gospel means? The word gospel, it means what? Good, what? News. What is news? See, news is something you would not know had someone not told you. You would not know. You would not be able to intuit it on your own. And I think about what Jesus says here or what we're studying. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, that's news, isn't it? That is weird. That is odd. Blessed are those who mourn. We would never say that, really. I mean, we would say uh, the people are blessed. uh, You know, blessed are those who feel better blessed are those who get over it that's what we would say it's kind of written into the fabric of American culture it's been around for a long time we love you know this this kind of sense of ruggedness you know we love it when people can kind of stare with a steely gaze into their pain and they can endure their pain with fortitude the kind of John Wayne you know sense of toughness blessed are they but yet the pages of Scripture, let me tell you something. If you ever open this Bible up and begin to read it for yourself, you will realize that, that the pages of the Bible are actually damp with the tears of the saints. It's in here. You never find them saying, well, blessed are we who know how to get over our losses. I think this is kind of a difficult sermon to preach. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I don't... Well, I think that we just don't know what to do with Jesus' words here. Blessed are those who mourn. (laughs) It's kind of hard for us to know what to do with the words of Psalm 42 in the context especially of a worship service. I mean, we're getting ready to talk about grieving and mourning, but there's a part of us we are uncomfortable with this talking about this in church because we have this idea that church is supposed to be the place, especially the worship service, is the place we're all supposed to come together and to feel better. Why don't we get a little zip in our step today? But actually, I really do believe this, and this is not news, (laughs) but in all honesty, I I believe that worship should be the place where we should be free to express our pain, and we should be free to let our tears absolutely flow. We're not good at this. There's a uh, a Christian thinker who said uh, during an interview, he said that this is kind of an indictment on American worship services a lot of churches In our country, he says that so much of our worship is a cover up where we come into the worship service and and we pretend to have emotions we really don't have, or we suppress the emotions we really do have. And then what happens is that we leave worship and we go right back to our pain, right back to our grief, but we, we, we do not bring it with us into the worship services. And what happens is that pastors and leaders, what we do is we try to manufacture. This sense of joy, this constant sense of giddiness, because we think that's what the praise of God is. It's giddiness, right? The praise of God means feeling upbeat. It's being up, 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 up. That is not actually the case. The praise of God, yes, there are moments when you can shout in joy, and it just overwhelms you with this sense of of joy. But really, the shouts of praise to God can also be our shouts of grief. It's like our tears in the eyes of God and in the ears of God can be a chorus of praise. God, God is, why do we feel like we have to manufacture these feelings? God is open just as much to your pain and how you're really feeling right now than he is with the shouts of the joy and the enthusiasm. You know, you think about the psalmist here. I, mean, I love this psalm. He says, my, my soul thirsts for God. And then right after he says, my soul thirsts for God, he says, my tears have been my, what was the word? My tears have been my food, day and night. So it's like he's eating his tears. Isn't this interesting? My soul thirsts for God. My tears have been my food. It's almost as if he's saying it's the saltiness of his tears that have made him thirst for God. It's like there is a a parallel there. Like our sadness can bring us closer and closer and closer to God. You know, scholars refer to a passage like this uh, as a lament psalm. You ever heard that expression before, lament? Lots of lament in the Bible, lament psalms. There actually, if you open the, uh, the Psalter, the book of Psalms, there are more laments, these cries of grief and tears in the psalms than there are with the shouts of praise. It's as if God is actually trying to teach us something. Hey, I want you to learn how to grieve. What's a holy way to grieve? And we have all of these psalms where the writers express their grief and their remorse to God. Now, a lament, when we think about the lament, when you come across a lament in the Bible, what a lament is, it is a confession. It is a confession that something is wrong. Like, there has been a real loss here. That what was is dead. It is gone. We do not know if it's coming back. And a lament is a way to confess and to acknowledge that pain and to absolutely speak truth to that loss. We're not good at this. What we are good at is not lamenting. We're good at denying. We are really skilled at denying there's anything wrong. We are really skilled at denying there's any pain. Oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Just pray for me. I'll be fine. We do this as a country. We do this as nations. We don't appreciate this enough, but Israel, ancient Israel, these laments that you find throughout the Old Testament especially, this really, this is a radical thing. This set Israel apart from all the other nations of the world, these laments, especially the powerful nations, because powerful nations do not lament. You do not as a a nation lament what is going on. Most powerful nations always use the language of triumph. Like, we'll have, a, we'll have a moment of silence for about, what, 30 seconds? And then we immediately shift into, we're going to persevere. We're going to get past this. We're strong people. We're not going to acknowledge that anything wrong, like something wrong is happening to us. There's something wrong with us. But Israel, unlike every other nation, they would, as a people, when loss would happen, they would grieve, and they really believed that their expressions of grief would draw them into this robust hope in God. Like God is is close to the brokenhearted. I mean, this is what ancient Israel believed, and, and God actually wants to hear our pain. Now, most of us, when we hear uh, Jesus' words, or if we're in a Bible study, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, we immediately rush to people who have lost someone in their lives. Like we think Jesus is blessing those who are grieving the loss of someone, and that is legitimate. I mean, God is not in the death business. God is in the life business. Right? He, he is not the God who causes death at all. He's, he's the God who sent Jesus to bring us life, and, and that's a legitimate grief. As a matter of fact, I didn't even plan this. You may have seen coming into the worship services a a banner about a grieving support group. There's some people here in the church who really want to start a support group because we have had a lot of loss this year. And if it hasn't happened in our congregation, it has happened to members here. Family members, and, and, and somebody's got the vision of let's start a grief support group. We need a place where we can go and grieve. But we think that Jesus is primarily just talking to those who have lost a loved one and is blessing them. That is the case. But I'll tell you, the mourning that Jesus is blessing in this passage is so much more comprehensive than that. I went back and I researched uh, how the great Christians of our past have understood blessed are those who mourn. This is going to be so curious. And so many of them believe that Jesus is primarily blessing people who mourn over their sins. Jesus is blessing people who mourn over their sins. Now, that is a foreign concept. When was the last time you mourned over your sins? You ever done that before? I mean, we have so trivialized what sin is. We kind of think sin, oh, you know, it's just a character flaw. It's, it's you know, it's a mistake that I made. Uh, you know, I'll come to church and I'll listen to the preacher say, God forgives me. I'm good. I'll just move right on. Well, like, We do not think about, I mean, really, the, the, the severity of our sins. I mean, our sins are not just little character flaws. Our sins, according to the Scripture, they grieve. The heart of God. I mean, our sins is what caused Jesus to be nailed to a cross. I mean, his suffering and his passion for us. I mean, there are many of the great saints like Francis of Assisi. You know, we see a cross right here. And what what we do is we go, oh, look, it's a cross. Or if it's a gold cross, we'll say, oh, that's a very pretty cross. But what the great saints like Francis of Assisi would do whenever they would see a cross, especially a crucifix, is that Francis would just stop in front of it. And, and he would just begin to weep. He would just weep over the suffering of Jesus. And he would say to people around him, how can you not mourn the passion of our Lord for our sins? And he would just mourn. And we hear this and we're like, well, that's a block to good mental health. That'll make you live a depressed life. But no. See, the great saints knew that the more you mourn your sins, they would actually draw you closer to God's great tenderness and forgiveness, and the depth of His love for us—I mean, you think about mourning your sins. That's so foreign to us. But if you if you weep over your sins, it will actually make your hard heart a little softer. I was going to quote Allison Change at this point: "Tears can melt a callous heart." Never mind. You know, but our, but our our our, our 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 tears can actually soften our hearts. And if you are someone who can look at yourself and you can mourn your sins and you know the depth of God's forgiveness, you will have a very difficult time looking at other people and judging them because you're, you're so focused on your own brokenness and yet the depth of God's mercy for us. Uh, centuries ago, there was a great saint. I have to read this to you. His name was John, and, and he compared our tears, the tears that we should shed over our sins. He compared them with the waters of baptism. And he said this. He said, baptism washes off those sins that were previously within us, but the sins we commit after baptism are washed away by our tears. Now that's beautiful. Kyle's word is there's a sweetness to that. There's a sweetness. You think about uh, the disciple Peter. He denied Jesus the third time. And then he hears the rooster crow. What does he do immediately when he hears the rooster? How many of you know he wept? And he became kind of the model for all of us. And and what's beautiful about that story is that the tears that Peter shed that Friday night was the very tears that allowed him to be restored by Jesus on Easter Sunday. There's something beautiful about that. Blessed are those who mourn over their sins. What a radical concept that is. I'll tell you, I think the real reason that Jesus blesses the mourners is because the mourners are those who are simply following Jesus. I'll say that again. I think the real reason that Jesus blesses those who mourn is because the mourners are those who are simply following Jesus. This is a terrible marketing strategy. I said this last week. With the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, I said at the end of my sermon, if you were here, I said, you know, we so often think that God is in the filling business. You know, it's God's job to fill us, it's God's job to fill me with happiness. You must fill me with uh, peace, you must fill me and satisfy all of my desires. And I don't know, the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I think we need to reverse engineer this, because all the Beatitudes are reversal of of reality as we know it. I think God is actually in the emptying business more than he is in the filling business. God actually wants to empty your life. The paradox, though, is that the emptying is God's way of filling us. And God's way of filling us is emptying our lives. And I said, you cannot put that on our sign out front. I could not say, hey, come to church this Sunday and get emptied with God with us. And Jesus here says, blessed are those who mourn. Terrible marketing strategy. How cool would it be? I wish I could do this. I I know some preachers who have done something like this. You've heard this. Well, they'll say, uh, hey, come to Jesus and you will walk away with a zip in your step. Happy, happy, joy, joy, Ren and Stimpy. It is going to be a great life for you. Some of you got that. <laughs> but here, here, here's, here's what we really should put on the marquee out front. Here it is. You follow Jesus, and you take that seriously, and your heart is going to break. Jesus is going to make sure your heart is going to break. Because once you follow Jesus, He's going to peel the things from your eyes that have hidden you from the, made you oblivious to the pain and suffering of the world. You're going to see things if you follow Jesus. At some point, you're going to see things, and and you're just not going to know what to do with it. I'm telling you. The mission statement should be, follow Jesus, and your heart is going to break. You're not going to know what to do with this. Uh, back this past July, uh, there was a couple of people who went with the youth. It was just a small group of youth. They went to New Orleans. And uh, I did not go, but I heard the reports coming back. And uh, a couple of leaders told me that the, the students who were there, they, or the youth that were there on the trip, they, they, they saw things. They saw things they had never seen before. It was just abject poverty. And this really got to them, and there was a moment during the trip where some of the youth were just sharing and reflecting on the things that they had never really been exposed to before. The abject poverty here, and, and they just began to weep. Some of them just broke down, and there was a moment when it was just the emotions were flowing. And, and if I were there and I was not, what I would have said to the youth, and I would have said that what, what, what's going on right now is that you're actually drawing closer to the presence of God you are actually now drawing closer to the heart of Jesus because you are seeing things that you were oblivious to. And, you know, Jesus sees these things all the time. And now your heart is is breaking over it. I mean, what was it that St. Paul said in Romans chapter (laughs) 8? St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, then what? Then you will be happy, happy, joy, joy. He doesn't say that at all. We want to sell Christianity with this. If you've got the Spirit in your life, then all's going to be well. Paul actually says in Romans chapter 8 if the Spirit of God is in you, you will groan. You will groan with the Spirit that is groaning. And the Spirit of God is groaning over the groanings and suffering of creation. That is what it means to have the Spirit of God biblically. It's not therapy. But if the Spirit of God is in you, you're going to grow. Groan. That means you are going to see things in your life. Now you're going to see hurt, pain, and hatred. And, and the best response that you're going to be able to do is this. Uh, the things that happen in Charlottesville or, or Charleston. Yeah, if you're following Jesus, your your best response to that is, I don't know how to fix this, but oh, uh, my God, my God, you follow Jesus, and your, your heart is just absolutely going to break. That reminds me of the words of, of Robert Pierce. Some of you have heard this before. Uh, Robert Pierce was a missionary to China back in the 1940s. This was well before the China was China as we know it today, but Back in the 1940s, Robert Pierce went there, and he just saw, oh, I mean, all of this suffering and this hunger, and and people were just in, it was absurd. And he sat down one night at his journal, and and he wrote these words. He said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God of God. That should be on the marquee. Lord, break our hearts. Uh, Nicholas Walterstorff, he uh, lost his son tragically in a mountain accident, and he wrote this small little book chronicling his experience with this deep, tremendous grief. And what Nicholas Wolterstorff said, I'm just going to share with you. He said, who are the mourners Jesus blesses? He says, the mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, the day that God promises shall come when our tears shall be no more, and they ache with all of their being until that day comes. He says, the mourners are those who realize that in God's kingdom there is no one hungry, and they ache when they see someone starving. The mourners are the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one who suffers oppression and they ache whenever they see someone beat down. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm there is neither death nor tears and they ache whenever they see someone crying tears over death. And then he says this, I love it. He says, the mourners Jesus blesses are the aching visionaries. We are called to be the aching visionaries. We see God's new day. The world promised to us in Scripture, but yet it's not here. We're still, it feels like we're still way back here. And we see all the pain and the suffering, and it looks like there's a contradiction between the two, and yet we ache. We see the day coming, but we ache for it in the long run until it comes. Then he says, the Stoics of antiquity said, be strong, do not laugh, do not weep, be calm. But Jesus says, be open to the wounds of the world, but do so in the good cheer that a day of peace is coming. You follow Jesus and your heart shall break. You know, Psalm 126, it's verse in Psalm 126 that says, Those who go out sowing in tears, (laughs) that's beautiful. Those who go sowing in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Think about that. I mean, our tears for God are like seeds, and, and God is going to take your tears, whatever you're grieving over, and he's going to plant those tears for a day of a harvest, of a day of redemption, when your tears shall be no more. So i say to those of you who are grieving this morning, if you know what loss is, for those of you who know what it's like to just groan, you see things and you just, uh, and your heart breaks. I would say to you what Jesus would say to you. Don't, don't be strong. Mourn. But do so in the hope that a new day is coming. Be an aching visionary. Let your heart break with the things that break the heart of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information on classes, upcoming events, or how to get involved, visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.